holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog, it is another goodly morning to you, James. It is another goodly morning. Can you believe it? Another victory. I mean, I could really get used to this. Yeah, I like it. Um, we obviously have an update on your voice. You're, you're still a little bit croaky. I think you may have passed something on to me. I'm a little bit... I've got a sort of irritated throat this morning, so if there's a little bit of coughing mm. in the background, uh, please ignore it. I've got a bottle of water here, fizzy water. Don't have any honey, though, but that didn't seem to work for you the other day, so fuck it. No, exactly. I think honey's a myth. I think the bees have been conning us all along. It doesn't mm, work, guys. Delicious, crunchy bees. Mm, I like those. Should I try the Lucky Charms thing this morning and see what happens? Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, look, you seem to be uh, sounding slightly better. Why not do something that could set you back days, if not weeks? Exactly. Like like any Arsenal player would during their rehab from an injury. <laughs> why, why not push Absolutely. it and see if I get hurt again? Yeah. Okay, here... Here we go, guys. But feel free to join in. You all know the catchphrase. <laughs> Arr, they're after me. <laughs> no, I'm not no, quite there yet. No, I don't I? think so. I'm not quite there. I don't think but so. But we had a go. We had a bloody good go at it. Well, that's what counts. Exactly. We had a bloody good go at it. A bit like Arsenal did last night. They had a bloody good go at Sunderland's goal, only to find one man. One man. One man. In impeccable yeah. form. And I think in some ways we have to take a little bit of the blame here because, well, not, not so much you as, as me, because this is what I said on the Arscast Extra on Monday. Or I prefer someone like uh, Butland to Jordan Pickford. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what people have been seeing in Jordan Pickford that would make us so interested in him. I know he's been busy <laughs> because he's been playing for... For Sunderland, having said that, now he's going to have one of those games tomorrow, isn't he? He's going to do like an eight and five star. You've done it. There. Oh, I mean, fucking thank, hell. I, at least I didn't say it, Captain Jinx, over it. <laughs> I do think there is a degree. Of- so, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think you know you owe everybody an apology, really, for, for what happened. I do very, very, very sorry, very sorry. Um, one of the questions that we got was from uh, Arsenal's voice, who said, "Can you please never talk about the opposition goalkeeper again?" And okay, I think that's fair. But, you know, could we work our magic somewhere else, James? Could we perhaps say that, you know what? You know, I think that Arsenal should be looking at Brad Guzan. What a what a fantastic talent he is. Oh, an astonishing, an astonishing talent. Or is that how it I works, mean, or should we be writing him off? We should be saying, no, have to- no, Arsenal should not be looking at Brad Guzan. That's what it is. He's, he's, he's I don't know what people see in Brad Guzan at all. 
It's just kind of a bald crap goalkeeper. What are they on about? Arsenal definitely shouldn't be interested in him. Yes, we've laid the groundwork there. We've laid the groundwork. I think whichever way it goes, it's probably going to be our fault now. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, Brad Guzan, I mean, of all the people to be relying on, that's not that's not the man you want to be resting your hopes on on the final day of the season, is it? Brad Guzan. No, I, I think it's probably got a little more to do with what happens in front of Brad Guzan, but, you know, yeah, you, you would feel slightly more assured if there was, I don't know, someone better or... Inanimate carbon well, rod, Victor or Valdez. yeah, Victor, yeah, yeah, Victor Valdez, exactly. yeah. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with Victor Valdez? He- He's a coward. He's scared of Liverpool. <laughs> He's probably uh, injured. I don't I think. know. Yeah. He's probably broken his leg or something. I don't know. He's always injured, isn't he? But uh, Brad Guzan. Imagine being a Middlesbrough defender, looking behind you and seeing Brad Guzan there. No, oy, oy, oy. no, no, no. Poor Callum Chambers. Terrified, terrified he's going to be. But uh, he, he's got a part to play. So maybe uh, Callum Chambers could be the hero that Arsenal's season requires. What a piece of uh, what a piece of something that would be if somehow Callum Chambers, let's say, popped up in the last minute to score a goal and we were beating Everton. Wow, that would be some some contribution to our season from many miles away. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of that, of that anything like that happening before. Can you, with an Arsenal player who is out on loan? No, the only the only thing I can really think of that was in any way vaguely similar uh, was after the fact. Because if you remember back in two thousand and six when Tottenham ate the bad lasagna, you remember they were playing. Mm. I can't. Remember, was it at White Hart Lane or was it at, at West Ham at Upton Park? Park? I can't I believe, remember. Yeah. But the man who scored the goal for West Ham that day to win them the game was none other than. Yossi Ben Ayoun, who later came Yossi to play Ayoun. for Arsenal uh, on loan from Chelsea. So there is that slight connection there, but I, you know, I can't think of another situation where an on loan Arsenal player has got the chance to, to make such a, a telling contribution to, to our season, assuming, of course, that we can beat Everton. That's it. That's it. Well, you know, we're on a roll. So we, we may well do. Mm, we may. What did uh, you... I mean, I was there last night. I was at Sunday. I was one of the, the few. <laughs> I was one of the few. Uh, and, I, and I was being paid, so I don't think I really count. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was odd. It was very empty. It was, it, it was a yeah, curious atmosphere. It was very empty. We might touch on that a bit later on. So let's talk about the football first and then d- deal with the, the seats and, and everything else that's going sure. on. So were you surprised that there weren't more changes? Because I certainly was. When I looked at the team... Gibbs was in for Koscielny, who we knew was injured, and Aaron Ramsey comes in for Francis Coquelin. Apart from that, there were no changes whatsoever to the team uh, that that uh, that beat Stoke. And had, most of those players, I know there's been a little bit of rotation, but most of those players have played. They played last Sunday against Manchester United, then they played uh, Wednesday against Southampton, they played Saturday against Stoke, and then Tuesday uh, against Sunderland. I was thinking, holy, mm. you know, we've got to try and at least keep things a bit fresh. We've got to bear in mind we've got the the FA Cup final coming up. Is it just a case that Arsene Wenger is going, well, this is working, I'm not fucking around with this? I think so, partly. I think, you know, he's trying to build momentum ahead of that cup final. And also, I think there's a few players who, if they're fit, they play. Like, if Alexis and Ozil are fit, 
they sent 10 to start. Mm. And I almost wonder if Granit Xhaka is entering into that category too, because, you know, he's played all the games really since we've moved into this system, yeah. it seems to me, uh, and has played almost every minute of them. So he's become absolutely integral to the way we play in this shape. I thought that um, maybe there'd be another change at the back. I thought Gabriel might come in for a, I don't know, for a Monreal maybe, give him a rest, or uh, Xhaka, I guess, is the other guy who'd be looking at thinking, oh, he's, he's played a lot of minutes recently, yeah. but... It seems uh, it seems Arsenal was determined to stick with it, and I guess the real gamble is with is with injuries. There, you know, I think you're you're running the risk of someone picking up a problem that might keep them out of the cup final. But well, yeah. we got away with it. Yeah, I mean, he said he, he only decided to play Alexis at four o'clock that afternoon. He said that well, once he's out in the pitch, he doesn't feel his pain. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like. You know, the most uh, well-managed situation, but, you know, worked out in the end. And Alexis, as we know, is a guy who, who wants to play. And Wenger has spoken before about how if you take him out of the team, maybe he loses a little bit of rhythm, which could be part of his thinking as well. But, uh, look, I suppose whatever happens, they're going to manage him through to the end of the season and through to Wembley. But, uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. But... You know, 18 attempts on goal in the first half. I thought we started the game really, really brightly. And then as the first mm. half went on, we got a little bit leggy, looked a little bit jaded, lacked a little bit of the incision that you would expect. And perhaps that's because we were a bit sluggish, a little bit jaded. But the, the scene was set very early on, wasn't it? When Ramsey uh, played in Giroud, should have scored. I think, yeah. you know, from that position, you're looking for your striker to score the goal. But I think that was probably Pickford's best save of the night. I know some of them are a little more flashy, a little more showy, but that, the reaction to to get down and stick a hand out and save that shot uh, from that range, um, it was it was poor finishing, but it was also a really great piece of goalkeeping, I think. Yeah, I think I don't think every goalkeeper saves that really. I mean, you know, he, he didn't do too much wrong. Brad Guzan wouldn't save it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. But I thought you're right. In the first half, we started really well, and to be honest, it looked a bit like we might be able to blow Sunderland away. Uh, they're not any great shakes at all, and we were creating seemingly chance after chance. Not all as clear cut as that Giroud one, but we were uh, moving through them pretty effectively. Mm. And I, I sort of felt like if we got the first goal, the floodgates might open, but. Uh, you know, as as we discovered, uh, they didn't. And, and as time went on, Sunderland began to threaten a little bit at the other end. I mean, uh, there was that Jamon Defoe shot across uh, Petr Cech. He had to get well uh, down pretty well to stop that. Yeah. And there were a couple of other times too where they kind of got in in the channels and didn't make the most of it. Well, thingamajig, uh, Ndong, he had a... He had a really good chance uh, as well, saved at the near post. And there was one, I think, just not long after we had that first Giroud chance where Czech had to stand up well to, I think it probably was Defoe, given he was about the only player that was getting into our box. So mm. again, you know, the goalkeeper was an important part of, of this win and has been an important part of our recent form that people look at the defensive stability. You can't really argue with the results. You can't argue with the the way we're conceding fewer goals, but I think you can look at the chances that we're allowing the opposition and still be a little bit concerned that perhaps the balance isn't quite right and wonder whether or not a team with more efficiency in our box or or capable of finishing better than some of the teams we've faced might cause us more problems. A team like Chelsea, you mean? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was honestly, I was thinking that going to bed last night. I was thinking like, what if it's what if it's Hazard or Costa who are getting the the shots that Undong has, and 
Defoe had. Like Defoe was a good finisher, of course, but you know um, yeah. that that yeah. that's a little bit of a worry for me. That is a worry. I mean, even when you think back to that Manchester United game, you know, we won that game 2-0, mm. but there were big chances there for Martial and Rooney. Yeah. And Chelsea's great strength this season has been their efficiency. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously that that is a concern. But, you know, were it not for Peter Crouch's uh, handballed goal at Stoke, it'd be four consecutive clean sheets. It's, it's four consecutive clean sheets at home, I believe. So right. something has definitely changed for yeah. the better. yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, I guess sometimes you, you do need to, to ride your luck a little bit. You know, you can say, well, we need to be more defensively efficient, and that's very true, but opposition miss chances the way that we rue miss chances at the other end. It's true that opposition miss chances. I think one of the issues that we've had down the years is very often the opposition seem to score from a, a comparatively smaller number of shots than we've had. You know, that old thing we had where, oh, look, Arsenal have had 10 shots on goal. The opposition come up the other end and score with their first chance. So, you know, it does work yeah. a, a couple of ways and you do, you know, things go a little bit well for you. But I think it has certainly changed the, the confidence of the team, um, and it, it, you can't argue with the results, is now seven from eight um, when it comes to when it comes to a back three, uh, even mm. though we did switch again to a back four in the middle of the game, well, towards the end of the game yesterday when we had that bizarre formation system where Danny Welbeck was playing central midfield, as far as I could tell, but... Um, it was bewildering, yeah. to be honest. I couldn't work out what was going on. And then I think in the last few minutes of the game... He seemed to be playing kind of like left wing back or something. I don't know. Mm. It was uh, uh, an odd, an odd sequence of events. But we, we will we will get to that because by that point was it still nil nil when he came on? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, what it was. It was yeah because we Ramsey the game. Ramsey came off and Iwobi came on. Um, for Could see Kieran him again. Gibson. Yes, it was. We, we've got a question about him later on, so we'll talk about him a little bit later on. Um, we we moved. We just kept. I, I thought perhaps the move just gave us a little bit more in the final third that we started mm. to put real pressure on Sunderland at that point. They just could not get out of their half really. Um, for all Defoe's valiant efforts at, at holding the ball up, he had nobody around him who could give him any real help. And you know when you have that many attempts on goal, it, it does feel inevitable when you score. But until we did. Pickford um, had had made a number of very, very good saves and we had found it a little bit difficult to, to make really, really clear-cut chances. Yeah, it was it was proving very difficult indeed. And I mean, the goal when it came was really a mark of quality, wasn't mm. it? There were some brilliant moments in it. I mean, uh, the, the Xhaka pass perhaps being the obvious Oof. one, but Mesut Ozil's contribution too was, was immaculate. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um Sorry, just taking a drink of water here. I'm oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, it's it's a really a really lovely pass. He made it look very simple, but to put the ball across on the half volley like that without clubbing it over the bar, you know, you think of a couple of players uh, in our team who, if they got into that position, might not have had the subtlety or the ability to to make the tap in as easy as it was for Alexis Sanchez. Um, one of the yeah. easiest goals I think he's scored all season. Probably, yeah. But I mean, in, in the Looking at the Jacker pass, I mean, what's perhaps most remarkable about that is how frequently we see him do things like that. It's it's no fluke, is it? I mean, that's a no. trademark Shaka ball. He's been doing it, uh, well, increasingly over the last few months. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a brilliant, brilliant ball from him yesterday. And, and I think he's really coming into his own. Look, we've all debated him over the course of the season. I think some of the scrutiny, I know you felt, has been a bit too much. I, I think I concur with that. 
But over the last, I don't know, well, I mean, to be honest, since the formation change, he's mm. really been one of the players who's benefited most, hasn't it? Absolutely. He and Ramsey, I think, have, have flourished in that formation, or they've certainly worked well together. I mean, there was one absolutely beautiful pass that he played from deep in our half, over the top. He spotted the run of Mesut Ozil, and of all the people in this team who you would have put money on to control the ball and just have a mm. one-on-one with the goalkeeper, it would be him. And for once his... His control let him down, but it was an absolutely perfectly weighted pass from Xhaka. And the way that he can spray the ball left and right, um, find the find the perfect weight on the pass to move the play around and help us shift the ball uh, into wide areas and stretch the opposition, I think is becoming increasingly important to the way we play. And I think, obviously, what the new shape gives him is is more targets. You know, you've got the wing-backs mm. pushing on, he, he loves spraying those big diagonals out to them, but you've also got Urzel and Alexis inside, uh, as well as a centre-forward. So you've got five potential targets ahead of you, really, most of the time, uh, and that suits him down to a T. I, I really, yeah, I mean, I think it is telling that Arsene keeps picking him because he's become so important. Yeah, and maybe Arsene Wenger is finally... Um, comfortable or has a good idea of what he wants from yeah. Granit Xhaka and what sort of a role he envisages him playing within the team because, you know, we spoke about it in in maybe the early part of the season or the first half of the season where first Arsene Wenger said, yes, he's a he's a defensive midfielder, then he was a box-to-box midfielder, then he was this, then he was that, and it felt like he hadn't quite figured out what way he was going to use Xhaka and now he seems to have found the perfect the perfect role for him and I do wonder if when we're looking at the transfer market this summer if a player I like the way he and Ramsey have have worked together but I wonder if he might be looking at a player who could really really complement Xhaka in the sense that he could add just maybe a little bit more um, ahead of him just in terms of ball winning Hmm. somebody who can who can really bring out the best in him I wonder if that's going to be part of our transfer plans well, I think it definitely would have been, or, or will be, if we are reverting to a four-at-the-back system because we couldn't really get Xhaka to work, you know, in, in a two that way round. But if we're sticking as we are, I quite like I quite like Ramsey and, and Xhaka together, but it'll be interesting to see what they do in that respect. Santi Cazorla, uh, I don't know if you saw the news, not, not expected to start training until October now. So I think you almost have to go into next season not really factoring him in, giving all the problems he's had of late. No, but to be fair, that, that report came from a website who put up the story but also used the picture of David Ospina. <laughs> so um, I'm not necessarily saying it's false. I would just I would just be a little bit cautious about taking that as gospel. Yeah, but look, if it was, if, if Santi Casorla was going to be out for another while, you wouldn't be at all surprised. You know, I'm I'm uh, given his age now. When uh, Santi Casorla is what 32, I guess yeah, he's going to be 33. When let me just see, Santi Casorla, how old is he? He is 32. He's going to be 33 in December. You know, as much as I love him, you've got to look beyond him as somebody who's going to be an integral part of your team in in the future. He's a guy who can obviously play a part, who can make a good contribution. But if you're thinking of building a midfield around Santi Cazorla, I think that would be that would be the wrong thing to do. So. Um, we, we'll obviously wait and see, and hopefully he's fit uh, earlier than than October. So we got a second goal. Then uh, cross in Olivier Giroud hooked it back across goal. Pickford made a save. It fell for Alexis. Another really really simple goal that takes him to to twenty eight for the season. 
Uh, we had one of those games last night where he was a little bit yin and yang, wasn't he? He gave the ball away quite a bit. He tried to make things happen. Not much happened. Mm-hmm. But when it came right down to it, who's the guy who won us the game? Who's the match winner? Who's the guy who made the difference in a really tight game? Once more, it's Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, 28 goals, that is pr- a pretty remarkable number. I mean, setting aside the fact that he's well into double figures for assists too, for a guy who's not played as a conventional striker for the entirety of the season, yeah. uh, it's just an incredible tally. He's so productive. I mean, I-, I know that he had a mixed game yesterday. He gave the ball away 23 times, apparently. What? Uh, and there was what, yeah. And there was an incredible moment um, in the first half where he went on a little dribble through the middle of the pitch, kind of dummied back, beat a defender twice, wonderful little shimmy, and then passed it directly to somebody else. I mean, it was vintage yeah. Alexis. <laughs> that was brilliant, actually. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, but... Uh, and, <laughs> and, I, you know, I put my little video up online uh, after the game and I was sort of... I was kind of, you know, lauding Alexis, really, and the contribution he's made to our season. And a lot of people commenting underneath saying Alexis is crap what are you talking about you know he, he, he hurts the team blah 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 Ugh. and I just I can't really fathom that I mean I understand that he's not the the perfect team player but in terms of what he's offered this season and in terms of his pure match winning ability I just think he's unparalleled really I don't know if there's another player in the Premier League that you would swap him for no I mean 28 goals as you say from generally wide positions I know he scored some goals uh, playing as a striker but 28 goals 14 assists he is not perfect he is a flawed player we've spoken about his flaws numerous times nobody's overlooking those things but there is a will to win there's a will to make something happen and we miss players with that kind of with that kind of desire, I mean, even Lauren Koscielny is the guy who's saying, um, what does he say today? I don't think there are a lot of players like him. And a player like this who can be the difference during the game, it's rare. We want to keep him with us mm. because we know how important he is for our team. And and just without sort of telling tales out of school, when Sanchez got dropped for the Liverpool game, there was an incident between him and Koscielny that that sparked that kind of thing that, that yeah. he... <sighs> He put himself in a position where probably he should have been disciplined. But that this is Koscielny saying this now. He's not holding any grudges. He's not He's not uh, saying, look, fuck this guy. He's bad for the dressing room. You know, if you're in that dressing room and you're looking around and you're looking at players who can make the difference, you would not want to be without Alexis Sanchez. I'm sure he'd drive you mad. I'm sure some of the things he does would drive you mental. Perhaps he's not as understanding as he might be in certain situations. But 28 goals, 12 assists, he's by far and away our most productive player. And if we are to stand any chance of getting to where people want us to get to, and that is a team that can challenge for the title, we've got to A, keep him, and B, surround him with better players, players who can uh, maybe offset some of the issues that he has. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, without wishing to bring down the mood, do you think we can keep him? I think I think it's very difficult. I think it is really difficult, yeah, to be honest, because he's going to want to play Champions League football. Um, I do think it is within our power as a football club to keep him because we have the year of a contract. Um, Do we... Do we take the money and run as we have done in the past? You wouldn't be at all surprised if we did that. But I don't know how you replace Alexis Sanchez... 
I don't know how you replace him or replace the goals or replace the contribution that he makes to the team. If you sell him, what, sell him for 60 million quid, 70 million? Do you get 60 million quid for a player in the final year of his contract? You probably don't. Probably not. We might get what we paid for him. That's the issue. Then what have you got to do? Where do you find that player for the same money, for £35 million? I mean, who wouldn't, which team really wouldn't want Alexis Sanchez when you think about the teams in Europe now? Maybe Barcelona? Real Madrid might not want him because they've got, you know, enough quality up there and they might bring in somebody like Mbappe or Obama Yang. But look around Europe. Which club would not want Alexis Sanchez? So I think we've got to, we may have to take a hit. (coughs) We Mm. may have to take a financial hit and say, well, look, fuck it. We'll just keep him for the final year. Is he going to be an asshole? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's that kind of a player. I think he'll do his best. Uh, throughout the season. Would Europa League be an issue for him? Yes, it probably would. Would Europa League be as much of an issue for him if he was part of an Arsenal team that was challenging for the title? That's a different, that's a different scenario. I think he'd be quite understanding of Europa League football if Arsenal were absolutely battling it out for the title. If we were real title contenders, is that not what he wants? So, you know, it's, it's trying to balance those things. Um, but what we're going to yeah. do and what, you know, see, the problem is as well, you may have to be tactical in the sense that do, do you keep him from going to a rival? Do you have to sell him somewhere else so he doesn't go to someone like Chelsea or Man City? You know, these are the issues. But um, I, I mean, that's it. You can say to. keep him for 12 months, but you run the risk of him joining Chelsea for nothing. You mm. know? I mean, is that something Arsenal can can afford to do or you know i don't even mean economically i just sort of mean in terms of losing face i don't know yeah or depending Uh, on how interested chelsea and man city are this summer we may it may be an issue that you know players can maneuver things players can make things happen where they leave the club with no chance or no alternative other than to sell them we've seen that happen before as well and maybe that's something that we're going to have to contend with so is our option let's say you've got option one sell them to psg option two sell them to uh, chelsea or sell them to man city it's option one if that's if that's all you're left with so it's going to be very complicated i don't think the the current situation at the club really helps either when we have no clarity over what's going to happen next season etc etc but you know we've been down that road but to me it's just it's hugely important that we hang on to him if we can get him to sign a new deal amazing amazing do something like uh uh liverpool did with suarez where he signed a new deal, they sold him the next year. Maybe that was part of the agreement. I, you know, I don't know, but you know, I, I should, I should have to think. In, didn't yeah, yeah, I should have to think what we will be like without him. That, that's all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not very good. <laughs> not very good is the answer. Mm. Uh, I, I'm really worried about uh, keeping him. I think it's going to be very difficult. I'd be really surprised if they can coerce him into signing a new deal, but. I have to say, I think he's been an outstanding signing. And the, the line Arsene Wenger was pushing yesterday in his post-match press conference was, you've improved at Arsenal, Alexis. You know, that was effectively the message he was saying. He's, he's become a better player. And I think that's true. I think he has. I think he's gone to another level. Um, and, and what Wenger said was, well, you know, he, he won't feel he's wasted his time here. And I think in terms of his personal development, that's t- true. I just think he's a player who is probably driven by things other than that. He's driven by success and trophies and winning the biggest, biggest competitions. Mm. Mm. Um, and Arsenal, you know, if there was more stability at the club, if it was like, well, look, we know who the manager's going to be, it's announced, we're pushing on already... Um, 
they could talk to Alexis more plainly about their plans for next season, maybe they would stand a better chance of convincing him that's the direction they're moving. Who knows? Maybe behind closed doors that is happening. Mm. I just feel like all the uncertainty it probably doesn't help things. No, it doesn't. And, you know... <sighs> I don't think, it, like you, I don't think it's solely a monetary issue with Sanchez. I think that's a big, big factor because he's 28 now. This is probably going to be, his next contract is going to be his last big contract. So mm. like any player in this position, he is going to want to maximize his earning potential. As much as he wants to win things, that's, that's something I think we can all identify when it comes to him. But let's not ignore the monetary fact either. Uh, it is going to have to be the right deal for him to commit the next next three or four years of his career. But I also think that if Arsenal were in a position to convince him that his sporting ambitions would be realized at the club, it would make our job an awful lot more easier. And that's where I have the big doubts. So, yeah. Yeah. So, look, a good win overall. Um, It makes the final day of the season interesting because... It's now down to what happens in our game against Everton and also Liverpool's game against Middlesbrough, uh, the mm-hmm. the Brad Guzan horror show, as I'm sure we'll come to know it. Uh, <laughs> but also maybe Manchester City as well. There's a big goal difference issue between us and Manchester City. But uh, if they lose and we win by a significant amount, then they could they could drop out too. But you know, I suppose it provides some measure of excitement on the final day that we weren't necessarily expecting a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, a 1-0 win could be good enough for us if, if Watford beat Man City 4 or 5 nil. Like <laughs> so, you know, it's all, it's all to play for. Um, look, no, I mean, look, I, who could have... Who could have anticipated Tottenham getting the result they did on the final day last season? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think the lesson from that is that you can't write anything off until, until the final ball's been kicked. And it's... Look, it is extremely unlikely, I do think, but it's nice to have something at stake on the final day of the season. It's not yep. what we'd want to be at stake, but it makes it interesting, at least. Sure it does. OK, well, look, what wasn't interesting for many people was last night's game, as the empty seats clearly showed. Mm. Uh, there was talk before the game of a protest, an organised protest where people didn't turn up, and perhaps that had an impact as well. I'm not sure quite how many of those empty seats were down to active protest, more, can you call it inactive protest, if you just simply don't turn up for a game, is that, I mean, it yeah, feels to me apathy, like, yeah, it? it's it's apathy, and I think, whatever the reasons behind it, it's it's got to be a big worry for the football club, because when you see that many empty seats, what would you estimate, 10,000 minimum, 15,000 perhaps? I, I would say... I would say at least 15,000. That would be my estimation. You we'll were never there, really so know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, that's my guess at it. Uh, 15 to 20, I would say. Is that, is that crazy? I don't know. I, I, yeah, well, look, it, it looked very empty um, from TV. Uh, pictures mm. showed that it looked pretty empty, sparsely populated areas of the ground. Look, we can uh, we can see that uh, it's a Tuesday night game. It's been rearranged late in the season uh, with... with relatively short amount of notice. Um, That's definitely a factor. Definitely a factor. Nobody's arguing that that's not a factor. But my argument to counter that would be that if Arsenal were playing that game to stay in the title race, let's say to bring the title race to the final day of the season, that ground would be absolutely full. So it is a consequence of what's happened on the pitch. Mm. 
unquestionably what's happened on the pitch. And I thought the the reluctance of the manager to to deal with it in any meaningful way, I I found that a little bit unfortunate because I get he wants to be positive. He doesn't want to talk about issues which might impact the players and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when you bat away questions about empty seats by saying we're sold out, yeah. that's not the right answer. Yes, you have sold your tickets, but your ground is still one-third empty. Why aren't people turning up? That is, that's a big question. And it's got to be a big worry. You can't ignore that. Now, maybe behind the scenes they're going, fuck, you know, look, this is bad. Look at all those empty seats. They're not blind to those empty seats. But I do think sometimes that the message from the club, it doesn't have to be, oh, yeah, there's loads of empty seats. This is terrible. But simply, yes, we've noticed this. We have acknowledged it. And it's something that we will deal with by X, Y, and Z. Or even just an acknowledgement that this is an issue rather than saying we're sold out. That's not, that's not good enough, I don't think. Yeah, well, I don't know where Arsene got that line from. You know, maybe it was fed to him by elsewhere within the club, but it doesn't make him look good. It's sort of that, you know, I didn't see it, comical Arsene uh, stuff that uh, really sort of dogged him a few years ago. Mm. I, I think it's a really interesting one because obviously a lot of those tickets were paid for. So, you know, people saying, I'll hit the club in their pocket. I'm not sure how much that did hit the club in their pocket last night. I think it's the aesthetics of it as much as anything. Yeah. I think it, it looks Arsenal makes Arsenal look like less of a, I don't know, an elite brand, really. Less of a uh, an entity that you want to be associated with sure. because, you know, they look less attractive as a club. Well, look, you uh, know, if I, you buy tickets for something and you don't go, why? Well, that's it. In a way, it's more damning, isn't it, that people <laughs> parted with money and still didn't want to be there. I mean, yeah. in some ways, that's the most damning thing. Yeah, like if you can't sell tickets, that's that's an issue. Absolutely. Like, if Arsenal all of a sudden couldn't fill the ground because things were bad, that's definitely an issue. But when people have bought their tickets and just can't be arsed to go, it's all right mm. saying it's a Tuesday night against Sunderland. It's not the most attractive fixture. And maybe it's not easy for everyone to go to, but, you know, it is. it does speak to a general apathy among sections of our fans who, I think, have made it clear what they think about what's going on by staying away. And I think that really is uh, the most visible and the most effective kind of protest. The next one, then, is to stop buying the tickets. It's to not renew your memberships. It's to not renew your season ticket. And that is something we, we can't really speak to because it's it's somewhat anecdotal. But I do have some tweets at me this morning uh, from somebody. Let me just see if I can find it here. Um, uh, Worfy, who's at Worfy, who said, I cancelled two red memberships yesterday and emailed and tweeted the club to explain. You know, those, I mean, those are the realities that Arsenal have got to deal with. And maybe it won't hurt them if one guy cancels his red membership and, you know, they've got a, a season ticket waiting list. But th that's sticking plaster stuff. It's ignoring why people are staying away and they've got to be really aware of it and cognizant of it and do something about it because it looks bad for the football club. It looks bad for the team. You know, when you're out there and you can see half the one third of the stadium empty, you know, you, it, I'm sure it does affect you somewhat as a player. And I think the crowd that were there last night, uh, you could correct me here if I'm wrong, but the first half was a little bit, little bit 
tepid, but in the second half, they really tried to get behind the team and they tried to to rouse yeah. the team into life. So it's not that people aren't willing to get behind their team, but that there is a big issue that the club has to be aware of. No, I, I thought the fans who were there were a credit, really. I mean, they were incredibly positive. Uh, and in the second half, you know, they, they generated some noise, which in a half-full stadium uh, was no mean feat. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, you do wonder uh, what people will make of it. I mean, I think we will get another kind of reading of the situation when the season ticket renewals happen. I mean, how much we find out about that externally, mm. I don't know. I, mean, I don't think the club will be particularly forthcoming with the amount of people who choose not to renew. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a shame in a way. For I mean, I know it's an end-of-season game, and I know there's not necessarily loads at stake. But uh, seeing all those empty seats, you know, we've built this brilliant stadium and, and really it deserves to be full and it ought to be full. And you look ahead to next season, you think of all those Europa League games and you wonder how full it'll be potentially for those. Well, know? yeah, I know certainly the Arsenal Supportives Trust have been on to the club and Ivan Gazidis said it is something that the club have thought about. You know, again, we talked about uh, the other week or the other day, didn't we? We were asked what would the positives be if Arsenal were in the Europa League and if Arsenal were in the Europa League or are in the Europa League next season, I think it would be a tremendously positive thing for the club to look at it and say, OK, this is not where we want to be, but let's try and make something more out of it than just squeezing as much as we can out of uh, fans who who aren't really interested necessarily in going to games against low-level European opposition. Because after 20-odd years of Champions League football, you expect to eat from the top table. Maybe people have become too comfortable. Maybe um, their expectations are too high, whatever that might be. But that's the reality, is that you're not going to get the same amount of people in a ground for a game against um, FC Zurich, I, I don't know, than you would against Barcelona. That is a simple fact. There's no getting away from that. So if there were things put in place, for example, where you had £10 tickets, where you got the next generation of Arsenal fans in, we hear all the time about how football has got so expensive. How are people going to enjoy the formative years of their footballing lives if they can't afford to go? Because it is expensive to go to Arsenal. It's expensive to go to... Premier League football. But if you can bring in, the way we did with the Carling Cup, bring in young fans, charge them a ten or a ticket, fill that ground with enthusiastic fans who are going to take that and and live with it and be it be part of their lives, their Arsenal lives, then I think that's you could make a little bit of a a silk purse out of the sow's ear that is the, the Europa League. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, as it stands, I think season ticket holders pay for seven uh, cup games, you know, included. I'd love to see that looked at, maybe revised. And and the Europa League, if indeed we are in it, treated a bit more like the League Cup has been with, you know, cup price tickets, especially for kids. I'd I'd love to see the club respond to this in that way. It would be a very heartening Mm. thing. but I, I'm not massively confident it will happen, but I think it might have to, really. I mean, if they want people's <laughs> renewals to go through, I think they probably will have to address that before the deadline comes yeah. along. So, mm. uh, well, they will have to just purely in terms of pricing. Sure, sure. We'll find that out, of course, uh, after Sunday when Arsenal play Everton and the final games of the Premier League season take place. And we'll, of course, uh, discuss all that on uh, Monday's Arscast Extra. But now we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with uh, your questions and more in part two.
Hey y'all, it's Matt Marr here, aka Maddie, and Poodle, aka Jake Anthony, and we host the podcast 90 Day Gaze. We sure do, and Poodle, I'm excited because Christmas is here. Aren't you excited? With Best Christmas Ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like it's Christmas morning. Oh, wow. They got all my favorites. The year without a Santa Claus. You know, I've always felt a kinship to Heat Miser. He was just misunderstood. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And y'all, AMC Plus is available on all your devices. So celebrate the best Christmas ever anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra, Extra, the Extra Arsecast Extra this week. And this is where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Um, did, you, did you do any jinxing at last night's game? Was Well, no, apart from my sort of vague involvement in the Pickford thing, uh, I don't <laughs> think I was... I don't think I was quite as productive on the jinx front as I, as I had been previously. I, ha- I was actually composing a slightly negative tweet when Alexis Sanchez uh, opened the scoring. I was composing a tweet questioning where Danny Welbeck was playing and if that had been an effective substitution. Mm. And then Alexis scored. So if anything, I'm sort of, you know, I, I was kind of ahead even on my usual jinxing standards. There. You're, you're, it's like a psychic jinxing. Yes, you don't even have to now. do it anymore. You just have to think it. Exactly. It's I can remarkable. just will it to be, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, look, will we do some questions? Let's do some questions, yeah. Let's do some questions. Okay. Uh, I'll start. Go so, uh, this one comes from Steve Moore at Steve Moore 4116 and he wants to know, if the plan is to placate fans with signings, would you blow the whole lot on a Griezmann-type deal or spread the cash? Oh, interesting question. Um I, Ooh, I sort I of think know. this goes back to, you know, being able to put bums back on seats. You know, how do clubs do that? They buy players, they they make exciting signings, they get people, they get people excited and interested again. Uh, I know there are other things that we could do, perhaps, to uh, make that happen. But you know, in this sense, it's referring to something I wrote in the blog today. So, right, I think you have to forgive me. I've not read that yet, but I I do think that I know. I know, I can't believe I said it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Um, Now, what I'm going to say is that I think that Arsenal need to spend a lot of money on a proper marquee player. I'll tell you why I think that. There's a few reasons. Number one, if I think about the way in which the signings of Alexis Sanchez and particularly Meza Ozil kind of re-energise the club, 
and brought the fans kind of back under its spell and created such a, a furore really of excitement, I think that that would be incredibly beneficial to the team. I also think when you look at their impact on the pitch, I think you can go and buy as many players in the 10 to 20 million pound bracket as you like and you will get some remarkable steals in there, your Rob Holdings or, or what have you, who's even cheaper than that. I do think that as a rule, those two players have brought a, an elite level of quality at that price tag. Mm. And I think that, you know, when you do want the very best players, you've got to spend big money. And I think it it would be good for the team. I think it'd be good for our chances of keeping those players. I mean, bear in mind, we might lose one or both of those players this summer. Uh, so I, I think we really are in need of some some top, top names. And mm. I'd love to believe that it wasn't mutually exclusive, what's been offered in this question. But if it, you know, I'd like to think we could bring in a big, big marquee name and supplement the squad in other areas. I mean, in that respect, I guess the signing of someone like Kolasinac, uh, I know I've mangled that pronunciation, but let's just move on. Um, <laughs> Kolasinac. is a smart one. Kolasinac. is a smart one, right? Because there's no transfer fee. Um, so we've we've saved ourselves a few quid. You know, you could end up paying thirty million pound for a top left back from Europe these days. Mm. So uh, I, I'd like to see some big marquee names brought in, and I think it would do wonders for the perception of the club, and I think for fan interest in the club. What, what about you? Mm. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right there. You're definitely onto something in terms of what those players bring to a squad. I do think that if it's a case, let's say that Arsene Wenger renews his contract, I think that's not going to go down well with a lot of people. One way of offsetting that would be to bring in a player of that stature. That's one a simple fact. That's That would help. Uh, it wouldn't ne- necessarily convince anyone that Arsene Wenger is still the right man for the job if, they're not, if they think that uh, he's not. But it would certainly go some way to maintaining some interest. Also, I think that it would show perhaps some ambition to the likes of Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez if you want them to sign new deals. It would help make the team more competitive. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, the, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but I would love to see Arsenal go out and buy another player of that calibre. Who it might be, I'm not quite sure. Whether or not we can attract them, I'm not quite sure. There's a question here from, well, his name is ABCDEDFG, and he's sure. at EDFG underscore ABCD, which sounds like a dodgy password. But anyway, he says, do you think we're going to struggle to attract quality players, assuming we've got no Champions League to offer? That's a really difficult one. I mean, uh, I've seen us quotes from Austin Wenger suggesting he doesn't necessarily think it'll be a problem. I mean, we saw Manchester United by Paul Pogba last summer uh, without Champions League football to offer. We've seen... Kante. Kante move to Chelsea. I think, you know, money talks in these situations, but I also think uh, what's key in those instances, I know United haven't, haven't managed it this year, but there's probably a belief from those players when they join those clubs that within a couple of years they will be back in the Champions League. So I think it's about demonstrating that you're a club, you know, with the the, the ability to bounce back and actually mm. compete in those in those areas. Uh, I, I think if we're prepared to pay the money, we should still be able to attract top players. I think where it becomes more of an issue is if we start losing the top players we already have. Yeah. Because th- then it's like, how attractive a club is this? You know, if if we go out of the Champions League, we're not in the Champions League, and we lose Mesut Ozil and we lose Alexis Sanchez, um, 
so, and then we lose Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, say, then suddenly people might look at that and say, yeah. well, is that where I want to be going? Mm. You know, I think that's the biggest issue. I think so. And, you know, I'm not putting Oxlade-Chamberlain in the same bracket as no. as uh, Alexis or, or Ozil, but yes, keeping those <laughs> players. If you, if you lose them, then players are, are going to actively question where is this club going? What is the ambition of this club? Why can't they keep these players? And again, to try and progress, to try and build a team that's going to be able to challenge for the Premier League title. You know, to me, you're a next season even this season has been somewhat incidental but i'm not saying it's not important but it, it, it i never have great expectations of us doing anything in europe but where i do have an expectation is for us to be able to challenge for the premier league title and i hope that um we we can do that next season whatever happens and however we go into that particular season so yeah and the other thing to to bear in mind is that while it might have an impact on you from a perception point of view, perhaps from the way players look at you or look at your club, the financial hit of not being in the Champions League is not as big as it used to be. If you finish top four in the Premier League five years ago, six years ago, you had a big financial advantage because you got that Premier or Champions League money and it enabled you to spend more on transfers and wages. Now, because of the BT and Sky deals, because of the money that's on offer that has made pretty much every Premier League club liquid, full of cash, the Champions League money is a nice bonus on top of that, but it's not as important as it used to be. So from that point of view, I think we can cope uh, without Champions League football as well. But, you know, you've got to be able to sell yourself to those players. You've got to be able to sell them the ambition of we're going to we're going to have a real title tilt we're keeping Mesedoso we're keeping Alexis Sanchez we're bringing you into play with those guys this is what we can offer you from a financial point of view this is a great package next season with you and Alexis and Ozil and all the other players and they say we're going to be back in the Champions League so take a hit for 12 months and come with us on this journey whether or not we can convince people I'm not sure but that's the way you've got to approach it I think yeah it's interesting I wonder if that will have influence the age profile of the players you're looking at you know is someone who's mm. 27 28 gonna gonna take that risk of coming out of the champions league in what might be more like to succeed with younger players mm. but i don't know um last night arsenal was asked about jordan pitford and he said a goalkeeper is the the last thing that arsenal need um ben h who's at neon away shirts on twitter says if goalkeeper is the one position we don't need to recruit what is the most pressing position are, are we are we assuming that we've signed Kolasinac? Well, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think we probably are. Arsene was asked about it last night and sort of batted it away in, in typical mm. fashion. I, th- I think, you know, the performances of Kieran Gibbs in the last few weeks, without wishing to be cruel, have kind of demonstrated just how much we do need someone, if, especially if we're going to persist with this formation. Mm. What is the most important? I, I really think that central midfield, there's two positions, I think, if we want to to make this team as good as it can be or as good as it should be I think central midfield is one and I think striker is another mm. uh, the last few weeks or certainly the last two thirds of this season have made it clear that Arsene Wenger doesn't want to use Alexis Sanchez as a striker because well whatever reasons he has behind that he obviously feels he's very effective there he might want his team to play a certain way with a certain striker but you know Alexis did really well as a centre forward and was still moved out of there and ultimately it's Arsene Wenger who made that decision so I think central midfield 
is an area where we have to spend because we've got issues there. He doesn't seem to trust Mohamed Elneny a great deal. Um, Aaron Ramsey, I like, but is somewhat injury-prone. Granite Xhaka has got all the promise, as we know, but Cazor is an injury problem. Jack Wilshire, if he comes back in the summer, is a is an injury worry as well. Players you can't necessarily rely on. Francis Coquelin, decent squad player, I think, for me. You know, he's a guy who can come in and do a job, and if you're in the Europa League, he's a guy who could get a lot of minutes in a competition like that. But to to really advance the team, I think we need something something important in central midfield and a striker who can take the team to the next level. That is the big the big signing for me would be if we could go out and get that that player. I don't know who it is. That's the big problem. It's like who is that player? Because we've been trying to find a a, a striker for. I don't know how long since going back to Higuain, going back to uh, Luis Suarez, mm-hmm. uh, Benzema is a guy who's been linked with us. Whether or not Many we were, times, that's, yeah. you know, so that that's the level of striker that he's been looking for, but unable to bring into the club or unwilling to bring into the club for various reasons, whether it's financial or circumstance or anything else. So it just feels to me like striker would be would be the one. Yeah, I think if you look back at those deals, you know, particularly the Higuain and, and Suarez ones, there was a sense that Arsenal were trying to compromise on on price, really. And I do think that if they can identify someone who might be available, who's in that bracket this summer, they are just going to have to pay the money because it's gone on for years now, really. And we've you know had sort of short term solutions at, at centre forward, and people have worked in fits and starts, but there's always been that aching gap. And if I mean, especially if you lose Alexis Sanchez, there's so many goals to replace. But regardless, really, mm. the idea of seeing Erzul and Alexis behind a really, truly top-class striker is an appealing one. So I, I hope, for me, that would almost be my uh, my priority this summer. I seem, I seem to say it every summer, but mm. there you go. Yeah, all right. Well, look, we're going back to the goalkeeping position, and it's uh, at Louis, Louis or Lewis Mills, uh, who's at Mad Millsy. And he says, do you agree with Arsene that we have good enough goalkeeping options going into next season? Hashtag, is Jordan Pickford actually Jesus? <laughs> um, well, it was interesting how he mentioned Wojciech Szczesny yesterday, said he's very much only on loan at Roma, uh, still considered an Arsenal player. That's really the determining factor, isn't it? What happens with Szczesny? I think that's the big piece in this in this jigsaw that we're waiting to see how that fits in. Because it sounds like David Espina's mind is pretty much made up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He talked about how Arsenal were not going to stand in his way if he wanted to leave. And I, I think Ospina will leave. I think probably Ospina should leave. Uh, you know, I don't think he's a, a, a bad guy at all. But, yeah, I, I think we do have options. We've got Chesney. Coming back, we've got Czech, who's playing very well. We've got uh, Emi Martinez, who hasn't really uh, let us down in any way. It's very no, difficult to so. know whether or not he's got the potential to be the first-choice goalkeeper at Arsenal. Uh, you know, I don't think we've seen enough for him. But if we are going to go out and spend big money this summer on a central midfielder and on a striker, then I don't think we need to be necessarily looking at goalkeepers if there was a brilliant brilliant goalkeeper out there who we could find and spend money on by all means do it but as we spoke about the other day I don't think I don't think that the the football world is awash with great goalkeepers at this moment in time and to me you look at someone like Chesney 
who for some has burnt his bridges at Arsenal, but was considered good enough to go into our first team at 19 years of age, be our first choice goalkeeper for a number of years. He lost focus. He was immature. We know that. But he's gone to Italy. He is probably, what, in the top two or three goalkeepers in Serie A. He's got to be up there in the top five or six goalkeepers in Europe this season Mm. in terms Mm. of his performances and his stats. So why not harness what he has learned and the maturity that he's gained in Serie A and bring him back to a club where he he belongs. He knows Arsenal. He loves Arsenal. He's an Arsenal boy. He's been at the club since he's 15 years of age. You know, he gets what it means to be an Arsenal player. And sure, he fucked it up, but like... God, you know, give the guy give the guy another chance. I say, prodigal son, absolutely. Returns. Well, look in the in in the absence of anything f- far superior to that, why not? Somebody give me a good reason why not. I, I completely agree, and I think you know many of his issues may have been kind of resolved by his time in Italy. A lot of them were to do with immaturity or, or being complacent potentially, and I, I don't think that can possibly be the case anymore. And if you look at Czech and Chesney as a pair of goalkeepers for the next season, you won't see many stronger pairs than that in Europe. The, the question for me is whether you could keep those two goalkeepers happy, um, if they'd be yeah. happy to kind of yeah. proceed on that basis. But if you can, I think that's a great solution. What you do with Emi Martinez is an interesting one because he's in a kind of awkward position where he's not going to really get the games he needs to prove himself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's got to go on loan. And then we've got to look at someone like Matt Macy or one of the other guys, one of our young goalkeepers providing cover as the third choice goalkeeper. Uh, but, but I think Martinez has got to go on loan. I think he's got to go on loan to a top flight club, whether it's in the Premier League or somewhere else. He's got to get a season, at least a season of top flight football under his belt before we really know what his potential is. But sitting at Arsenal playing the odd EFL Cup game is not going to is not going to be enough for him now as a player. He's got to develop. He's got to go and play more regularly. And at that point, we can see what kind of a player we've really got there. I agree. I think it's going to be difficult to convince a Premier League club to take him on as their number one, given his, his relative lack of experience. But I think maybe elsewhere in Europe, you know, uh, Holland or Belgium or somewhere like that, he needs to go and play regular football in a top-flight league uh, and then we can assess him. Because, you know, playing three games a season or whatever it is, it's not going to be good enough, is it, for him to, to make the grade? No. So I think, uh, I, I think he should be loaned out next season, definitely. All right. Your question. My question. It would have been good if I'd had it ready. It would. Um, John Vaughan. John Vaughan says, is the BFG's Arsenal career over? He's been injury-free for months now, and yet he's not got any game time. Any update on his situation? Is he on the way back to Werder Bremen this summer? Well, he signed a new deal in January. Himself and Santi Cazorla signed one-year extensions, and I don't think that Per Mertesacker would be ready to call time on his Arsenal career just yet. I don't think I don't think he is. You know, he wouldn't want to go out after a season where he just didn't play. Um I know he's he's very proud to be the captain of Arsenal Football Club and I'm pretty sure that he wants to change that issue we have with the captain not playing. He's only mm. thirty two. 
So he's only a few months, so a year older than Lauren Koscielny. Nobody's talking about Lauren Koscielny's career being over because of his age, nor should they with regards per Mertesacker. Obviously, the injury thing is a problem. We don't quite know why he's in the team or why he's not in the team at this moment in time. My feeling is is that the manager, the importance of the games, he didn't want to throw him into the team during a bad run, and now that we're doing okay, he doesn't want to disrupt that rhythm by putting in a player who hasn't played all season. The longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes uh, to play put him in the team. Um, so I think we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about if we're going to stay with a back three, you need to have the numbers of centre-halves in your squad to be able to deal with that over the course of a season. You just well, have you need to, at least six centre-halves, don't you, really? Yeah, I exactly, guess. or six players who can play there. And I think Mertesacker is one of those. People say he's too old. I don't agree. People say he's, uh, you know, he's not a guy who was ever going to lose his blinding pace. You know, that doesn't become, that's not so much an issue for players who never had huge pace in the first place. As they get a bit older, it doesn't impact them the same way it might do Theo Walcott, for example, who's a huge part of Theo Walcott's game is based on his pace. As soon as that goes, what's he got left? Can he adapt? Whereas getting a little bit slower when you're not the, the fastest player anyway is not a big deal. And I really feel like Mertesacker would fit very well into a back three as the middle central defender in that back three. If you've got Mustafi one side, Koscielny one side, you've got uh, uh, Rob Holding one side, you've got Gabriel the other side, or Monreal. You know, I think he's a guy who could fit into that role. I just think that this season has passed him by a little bit in terms of the injury, the circumstance, the way our season was going. It became more, more, more and more difficult for Arsene Wenger to throw him in, and uh, here we are. Unless there's an injury crisis between now and the end of the season, I don't think he's going to play, which is unfortunate. But I don't think he's ready to call time on his Arsenal career yet. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there was talk of a loan move back in January, wasn't there? And uh, on reflection, maybe that would have been a possibility. But I think effectively his season was written off a couple of months ago, and he was probably told, "Come back, you know, come back in pre-season, and then you'll be considered for selection." I've just been looking at the list of centre backs we have at our disposal. I mean, you've got you know you've got Mustafi, Koscielny, and Holding have been playing at the moment. Then you've got uh, Gabriel uh, and Monreal, and then you've got Mertesacker and Chambers. That takes you to seven if you're counting Monreal. So it'd be interesting to see if they're all part of the squad next season. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Callum Chambers and also maybe with Gabriel. I mean, I think if one's expendable, mm. he might prove to be the one. Um, but yeah, I mean, you need centre-backs, and we've certainly got plenty of them, uh, mm. which is a good thing. All right, well, here is uh, a question from Jane Cavendish, who's at jcav90, and she says, What do mm. you make of Wenger's recent comment about rule changes to help possession teams and reward teams who are, in quotes, making the game? If I'm honest, I found it alarming. <laughs> because... I think what he was alluding to is that the, the best counter-attacking teams are, are generally proving more and more successful. I mean, look at the Premier League. You've got Leicester City winning it and then Chelsea winning it. Um, even in Europe, a team like Atletico Madrid is having great success. But for me, that's that's as valid an approach as anything and as much part of the game as anything. Mm. And it slightly alarms me that Arsene Wenger, because it sort of doesn't sit with his own personal philosophy, which admittedly is, has generally been a good philosophy philosoph- the, the philosophy to watch on the pitch. Philosophy. It's generally been an attractive approach to football. I still think that, you know, uh, inevitably tactics evolve over time and it feels a little bit like a, a guy who 
as the game has slightly evolved beyond the way he perceives it and and isn't really keeping pace with it. So mm. I personally was uh, a little bit alarmed, if if unsurprised by it. What did you make of it? Yeah, it was one of those things I read and rolled my eyes because there's no one way of playing football. You know, it's great if a team can play attacking football, uh, you know, brilliant. But, I mean, what are you supposed to do if you're facing a team like Barcelona and you're a team like Sunderland? What do you do? You can't go out and attack Barcelona. You can't leave wide open spaces for them to exploit. You've got to adapt your game. And it's up to the teams who want to play attacking football to break down those teams. People might not like it when other teams park the bus. It's frustrating. I know we've sat there. We've watched Arsenal games and Arsenal struggle to break down well-organized opposition. But I think what we ignore there is that this isn't just them sitting there hoping for the best. This is their game plan. This is what they've worked on on the training ground. This is what happens when they do this. If Arsenal try and do that, then we do this. That is as as much part of football as nice flicks and tricks and flowing moves and moving the ball left and right and wide and getting crosses in or you know. So I you know I I don't think it's um, I don't think it's right to even think about rule changes. Uh, for teams to benefit teams who play in a certain way just because that's the way you like to play. If you're finding it difficult to break down teams with uh, packed defenses, do a little more homework. Work harder yourself. Get your teams to try different things. That's that's your job as a manager is to find a way to play against those kind of teams. That, yeah, that would be I, my thinking. I agree with that. I mean, I think... You know, I think Wenger's point is that there's a difference between a team at the lower reaches of the table cutting their cloth accordingly mm. and the fact that competitions are being won now by teams playing potentially negative tactics. But, I mean, I have to say, you know, I've watched Chelsea a few times this season and I, I think this barb is aimed partially at them, but I don't think you could say that they're a dull side or, or you know, not good to watch. When they counter-attack, it, it is exciting to watch and they do it extremely well. I just think, yeah, Arson. I don't know. It's one of those. It was one of those where I sort of go, oh, I don't know if I can listen to everything Arson says anymore because I'll just end up banging my head against the table a lot. Yeah, it's very true. Well, look at the look at the Premier League table. Let's look at it. Uh, Chelsea are top of the table. They're champions. They have scored eighty goals to Arsenal's seventy four. They've conceded mm. thirty two to Arsenal's forty three. Hmm. Are we a better team than Chelsea? Are we a nicer team than Chelsea? Are we a, a more attractive team than Chelsea? Are we prettier? Is the football we play, uh, has it got more flourishes? Who gives a fuck? Look at the table. <laughs> who's top? Who's got the trophy? Who's celebrating? It's not us. It's them. And you can't, in the same period of time, when you adopt the very same formation and to a, to, a, to a large extent, the same kind of game plan as Chelsea, then throw barbs their way. You just can't do That's it. That's a very good point. That's a very good it. point. We've nicked their tactics, so yeah. <laughs> we can't complain. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, what, yeah, rubbish. Absolute rubbish for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's have another question. Oh, this is from Philip Shaw. He says the three centre-back system is getting a lot of credit, but that is the f at least the fourth time we've switched to a back four mid-match since we started using it. The others were Leicester, Manu and Spurs. Is it a system Wenger trusts when we need a goal? That's a really good question. 
I'm not sure that he necessarily does yet, but there is also something um, when you do switch to a back four, you can play more men up front, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. I think that's what it? it is. And, you know, the Leicester game, we needed a goal. Manchester United game, if I remember correctly, did we switch to a back four because we had to take someone off? Was there an injury or something? I'm not I'm not sure. Remember. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, but, yeah, you know, at Tottenham, we could have switched to a back seven. I don't think it would have made any difference, that uh, you know, that day. And yesterday, yeah, we were looking for a goal. So we went back to something that he trusted uh, a little bit more. Um I think I've said before that I, I'm not sure we're quite quite sure of how we should attack or what way we're going to attack with this with this three at the back formation. I think there are really positive signs over the last number of games because if you look at the the way we've played, the goals we've scored, the chances we made, certainly against mm. Sunderland. I know the fact that it was just Sunderland is definitely an issue in that regard because they are, you know, their goalkeeper aside, pretty fucking terrible. But, you know, we scored four goals at Stoke. Uh, we went to Southampton, scored twice. We beat uh, Manchester United uh, 2-0. Um, 2-0 against Sunderland. You know, we're, we're finding our way from an attacking point of view, but I just think it's about getting as many men forward in a comfortable way as we can and and perhaps it's something we'll work on during the summer whereby we we become more effective um or or we have different options for those uh, wide positions for the wing backs maybe you've got more attacking wing wing backs than you can put on um and that might be a way of doing it in the future yeah that's a good point actually i suppose you know you could uh swap your i don't know your hector Bellerin for an alex oxlade chamberlain or or, or or similar equivalent but i think um I also don't think it's the worst thing in the world to switch to a back four during the game. If, if your players are comfortable doing it and they, they understand the systems enough, if, if you need to do that, to have that option mm. is incredible. I mean, Arsenal, I can't remember the last time we had the option to be to set up so differently within the course of a game. You know? Yeah, yeah, we were, we're usually quite rigid. And there's yeah. a, this speaks to a fluidity that perhaps it's, um, it's something that w- would be a string to our bow going into next season, so... That's it. And, and the good news is the, the guys who play wing-backs for us, you know, you're looking at Monreal and uh, Bellerin, they're very comfortable, they're, you know, they, they, while they excel in those roles, they started out in back four, so they're very comfortable making that switch. It's not too uh, not too tricky for us to, to change it around. All right. Uh, James Doherty at the X-Tuft would like to know, how would you assess Uwobi's season as a whole, his progress, and where he stands in this squad? Yeah, it was funny seeing him come on yesterday, actually. It feels like a, a good while since he had any significant playing time, really, which is interesting because at the start of the season, he was absolutely a first-choice player, wasn't he? On that, on that left-hand side, he was there yeah. week in, week out. When Alexis was up top, he was that kind of second playmaker, cutting in field next to Ozil. And I think, you know, when the team suffered, he suffered too. His confidence dipped, his form dipped. But watching him yesterday, he is still a really great player to watch. He's so technically accomplished. He was playing effectively in a deeper central midfield role uh, against Sunderland for the majority of the time and looked very comfortable there. Uh, he would be an important part of my plans going into next season, someone I'd want to factor in. And, you know, if this was kind of his tricky second season, I'd be expecting him to push on again uh, and be a, a, an important part of the squad next season, but maybe an important part of the squad rather than an automatic starter in, in every game. Yeah. Know? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I think what's been very interesting over the course of his development is the fact that Arsene Wenger has often played him centrally. When Mesut was playing as the number 10 for FA Cup games, that role was filled by Alex Uwobi. I feel like he could easily play where Alexis plays or where Mesut plays. I I, You know, I, I, I don't think the formation stymies him the same way it does like Theo Walcott, for example, who's yeah. left very much on the out by, and I think Ado- uh, Iwobi's Adobe? Adobe Iwobi. Um, yeah, please <laughs> we need to update. Yeah, update Adobe. <laughs> update Iwobi. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I think, I think he has been taken out of the firing line very deliberately. He came on. He looked good. He had a good shot that was saved. He could have got on the score sheet. You know, I think he will be an important player for Arsenal in the future. He, like many players, had a difficult period in his career. He was taken out of the firing line. He looks like he's back in the fold in the squad. I think he's going to be a player for us in the future. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm seeing from him and hopefully he can kick on next season. I completely agree. I, I wouldn't want to see him learned out or anything like that. I think he's got too much to offer, particularly yeah. in those roles. I mean, we talk about Erzl and Alexis playing every game. We don't really, haven't really seen anyone else given much of a chance in those roles behind the main striker. But of the options we have, he seems the player most suited. And uh, yeah, I think I think he'll be great there, given the mm-hmm. opportunity. All right, have you got one more? Uh, probably. Let me have a look. Um, it's, it's again. My voice seems to know, doesn't it? When the yes. end of the podcast is approaching, it, it kind of packs in. Oh, well, this is a question that I was saying from B Gunners Forty Two, who's looking on the bright side. If we do go into the Europa League, um, they ask, "Wouldn't Europa League be the opportunity to play the kids we send on loan and who never actually play there?" Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. Um. I mean, you, you, I guess he's thinking about the likes of Akpom and, and people like that. Yeah, Martinez maybe. I I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't be thinking a great deal about Chuba Akpom really in terms of a, an Arsenal future. Um, yeah. But you know, you've got to balance that with the with taking the competition seriously because if you're in it, you should try and win it. But yeah, it would be a great way of developing young players. I mean, you think somebody like Iwobi, who we just spoke about, that could be a great competition for him to play in. Lucas Perez, for example, if he's still with us, that seems to me like that would be the perfect the yeah. perfect um, competition to play him in. When obviously Arsene Wenger does not want to pick him for the Premier League. You know, yesterday I was... I'm not going to say I was surprised that he wasn't in the squad, but it felt to me like the perfect kind of game for Lucas Perez to to play some part in. He wasn't even on the bench. Um, but yeah, it it is a competition that will demand you stretch your squad and use your bench because because of the games, because of the schedule and everything else. You know, two-legged quarter... Is it two-legged quarterfinals or two-legged semifinals? I, I can't, can't quite remember. But, two courses, yeah, yeah, so, you know, you, you, your squad is going to be stressed. So it, it could well be, depending on the opposition, a good chance to give fringe players more playing time. And ultimately, I think that will benefit your squad because players stay fresh, they stay involved, it keeps the environment uh, happy and everything else. So there are positives to, to it from that regard, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the likes of the Jeff, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it'd be a good competition for him to get some game time in. Um, I'm sure there are others that we're not thinking. I mean, Callum Chambers, if he comes back to the club, um, you'd imagine he'd get some playing time there. Mm. So, especially in the early rounds, especially in the group stage, I think they would rotate the team heavily. So, yeah, it, it could be an interesting one. But I agree with you that once you get into the, the meat of the competition, the knockout stage, you also want to be giving it a real go. And, uh, you know, if you're in it, you might as well try and win it. 
All right, uh, final one uh, for today uh, comes from Troy Reed, who's at Troy Reed 32. And he wants to know I mean, there's a burning issue of the day here, James. We've dealt with pretty much everything. But Troy would like to know is pineapple a legitimate pizza topping? I think it has been legitimised, you know. I think it has been legitimised. It's, it's out there. It's in every pizza place you go to. Is it legitimate for me, in my eyes, for my taste buds? No, I've, I wouldn't have pineapple on a pizza. But I wouldn't have pineapple on a gammon. I'm not really having pineapple with my savoury hot food. That's just me. I'm, I'm with you on that. Pineapple is a really strange fruit. I don't dislike it, but I never, ever want to eat it. Okay, I like it. I like it, you know, in its raw form. I, I'll, I love a bit of pineapple. Delicious. It's sort of like sweets, but slightly better for you. But what, I, you know, I don't want to put Haribo on my pizza. So why am I putting pineapple on my pizza? Absolutely, yeah. I I'm not have... putting any other fruit on my pizza. I'm not putting banana on my pizza. I'm not putting pear on my pizza. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Do we, do we have to blame Hawaiians? That's I guess so. I, you know, pizza is an Italian thing. I don't think Italians are putting pineapples on pizza. I think no. they'd be appalled. What's your? What is your? What is your ideal pizza? Basically, just as many different types of meat as you can conjure, and and chilies. I, I realised this recently because I wasn't eating meat for a spell, and I realised that all the delicious pizza toppings, in my opinion, involve some sort of cured meat. Really, yeah. Um, but chilies as well. I like a spicy pizza. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about yourself? Quite simple. I want you know. I want the what? What sort of a base do you like? Do you like a nice thin crispy base, or are you into the more doughy ones or the deep pan? What, what's your? I think I like it. I think I like a thinner one as a rule. Mm. Keep it crispy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thin crispy. You know the sauce, the cheese, uh, maybe some pepperoni or salami. Maybe yeah, sometimes both. I'm not sure, but definitely, definitely with some chilies on it as well some chili oil or, or flake chilies on top that would that would do me but never pineapple never 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 pineapple on a pizza for me if someone else wants to go and eat it and have pineapple on their pizza that's you know fine i'm not here to we'll judge. tolerate it yeah, yeah, yeah exactly you know people like to do lots of strange things they like to eat strange things and do strange things to each other i'm not here to judge whatever you like yourself if it's consensual pineapple on pizza, then that's fine. <laughs> All right, well, I'm glad we agree. What about the gammon thing? Are you having pineapple on a gammon steak? Yeah, that is that is traditional, isn't it? Round piece yeah. of pineapple on a gammon steak. It's usually gammon or egg. And let me tell you, in that circumstance, I'm saying, give me the egg. It's very, you know, it's a long time since I've had a gammon steak. To I, be me too. I had well, actually, I had one. Tell I had one relatively recently, and I think that may have been the first time in years that I'd eaten a gammon. Yeah, steak. it used to be something we got when we were younger as kids. It was one of those dinners my mum used to make gammon steak. She would use yeah. pineapple on it just because uh, you know, uh, and it was a long way from pineapple. She was rare, let me tell you. But I think that was just the the nineteen seventies way of doing things: gammon steak with your pineapple garnish and everything else. But I, I, I pretty much didn't eat the the pineapple. But I'm not necessarily going to go out and have a gammon steak either. They always struck me as just a little bit plasticky. Don't know what it is. Yeah, there's something kind of plasticky about a gammon steak. I can't disagree with you there. <laughs> 
Can't disagree, but I don't think the pineapple's helping, Maz. No, no. Well, look, we seem to have found something in terms of food and drink and what have you that we agree on, so that's Common good. ground. Amazing. Yeah, that's nice. After 175 episodes, uh, it's glad that we've, we've connected in that way. I'm glad. <laughs> um, all right, well, look, we leave it there. We'll leave your voice there. Uh, there will be an Arsecast on Friday as we head into the final weekend of the Premier League season. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday for the Arsecast Extra. Looking back on the... Brad Guzan Nightmare. So until then. Till then, bye-bye. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.